Brittany Ross, and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Flincham, and I play the pipe. And together, we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat, and tune in. Cool. We're both recording. And welcome to yet another episode of Fiddle and Pipe. I am your primary co-host, Brittany Ross. And with me today, I have my other primary co-host. Secondary. (laughs) Secondary co-host. You said primary, so I was like, okay, what comes after primary? Secondary and then tertiary. Uh, What is this from? Quadrillary. Oh, is this from algebra? I think you're thinking of quadratic. Oh, I don't know. Like the quadratic formula? Yeah, I don't remember any of that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't work there. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not a science computer. There's a reason why I don't do math and I do music. Um, even though there is music in some form, sadly, in music. <laughs> you mean math in some form? There's math. Oh, yeah. There is math of some form in music, and it's very sad. <laughs> sadly, there is music in some form of music. Sadly, yes. <laughs> That reminds me of a few episodes ago, uh, our first episode of this book, when we were talking with Rainer, and you were trying to think about what your thoughts were called, and you kept wanting to say mind thoughts. Oh, yeah. Catherine's mind thoughts. <laughs> For Everyone's probably like, is this what she thinks in her head? Yes. Yes. The answer is yes. Catherine's mind thoughts. <laughs> mind thoughts for Catherine. <laughs> Today we are talking about the fifth and sixth chapter of Butterfly Hunting, and I don't really have a transition for this because it just gets, like, darker and darker. Well, these are the mind thoughts of Ivana Lynch from, oh. you know, growing up. Puberty. I mean, that's basically, this is around the time where she is going through puberty. Let's be fair. Puberty sucks. And I imagine if you have an eating disorder, it sucks even more. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah. I, I kind of think about it back in the day, you know, and I'll just be really honest. I think out of me being that age, like, so far, because we're reading her, she's, like, what, 11, 12 years old, 6th, 7th grade, mm-hmm. this in American schooling. I feel like I only knew really of, and I'm not saying I really knew them, but I knew of one person at that time, at that age, that actually did have an eating disorder. That I knew of. Like someone in your real life? Yeah. Hmm. Someone that I knew that had an eating disorder. Um, they were a friend of a friend, so I didn't really know them as much. But, I mean, I really didn't know many people growing up that went through something like what we're about to talk about today. I didn't have any friends that had eating disorders, or at least not that I was aware of. I know with me personally as a middle schooler and high school student, I would sometimes choose not to eat, but I'd be like skipping a meal. And I remember, I mean, that probably wasn't super healthy. And I literally did it when I knew I was hungry, but I wouldn't say that that's an eating disorder, but it definitely felt like there was a sense of control there. So When you look back at it, it's not really the most healthiest thing or decision, you know. Or I guess I remember doing something like that when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. But I I just remember growing up 
it's like, you know, you think about those things a little bit more. And I remember being, for myself at least, I don't think I really have ever had, like, a bad weight issue. My Like, I, I feel like I've been fairly... Petite? Petite, average, you know. I feel that when I was younger, because I felt like I was chunkier, fatter, that I needed to lose weight. And I just, I remember, like, I mean, marching band kind of helped me out with that because I was more active. I know that for sure. I mean, I was eating a lot when I was in marching band, so... But marching band really kind of helped me find a little bit more, I guess, like active, like an active lifestyle. Because when you're when you're doing marching band, I'm, I know that people like kind of. Well, it's basically a sport. It's a freaking sport, y'all. I know that y'all laugh. You're like, <laughs> marching band, like you just play. Y'all, people passed out in the middle of the field, and you're in Georgia in July. And our teacher, he was just like, okay, we're it's marching band season from. May to November, like, we are just go, go, go. I did lose a little bit of weight doing that because I was just more active. Mm -hmm. That was really it. I wasn't as much, I wasn't really active when I was in middle school and elementary school. I didn't really do any sports. I remember because I was more active and a little bit thinner, I remember, like, one time I would see, like, a picture of myself and be like, is that me? And I'd be like, wow, I'm so skinny. I look so good. And I used to do this with some old friends of mine. We used to be like, oh, like, I didn't really eat this. But it wasn't like we did it, like, all the time. It would just happen every now and then. I had a sense, I think I had a little bit of control. But when I look back at it, I'm like, that wasn't really a healthy thing to do. That wasn't a healthy or a great thing to really boast about. Back at that time, it was like, oh, I felt proud of, like, oh, I I didn't eat this and I felt pretty good. I think a lot of people kind of run into that where the seeds of an eating disorder could come about, but just whatever reason they don't. And I also am pretty sure that most girls kind of go through a period of having body dysmorphia Mm -hmm. because I definitely thought I was larger than I was. And it Literally took until I started weight training to actually get to a healthy weight. But I used to be underweight, not scarily so, but I remember in, God, I was in 7th or 8th grade and I was at my best friend's house at the time and I was wearing a bikini top and shorts and my friend, my best friend at the time, was just like, wow, Brittany, you have a six pack and like basically like bragging on me that I was like, you know, skinny and, like, skinny ripped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been there. And I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, it feels great. And I'm thinking back on it now, and I was just like, mm. Yeah. Like, at the time, it felt really great because you're just like, oh, wow, like, thin. I'm attractive. I'm like this. And yeah, you don't really think about that way about yourself as much like I I never really felt that way growing up as but whenever I had that kind of comment I felt oh when someone acknowledges that you're like oh I I am attractive this is a very attractive part of me yeah and when I think about it too and I mean it is mentioned in the book and we'll talk about it but when we were in middle school and I remember this a lot because me being the reality tv troll that I have been (laughs) since very long time. I blame the internet for that. <laughs> um, you know, being on PerezHilton.com. That was when it kind of like started. And 
articles like this would show up, but that was when celebrities like Lindsay Lohan, Nicole Richie, if you look at Nicole Richie from like early 2000s when she first started the show The Simple Life, she is a little bit more like thicker. And mm-hmm. then when you see her like progress in the seasons and that's like mid 2000s, she is skinny. And I remember seeing in the tabloids where she and like Lindsay Lohan and some other celebrities, friends of theirs that were also very skinny would take pictures of them eating like giant cakes for the tabloids. And I just remember it became like a big thing, and but it was also like a problem. And I find it interesting because Ivana mentions it in this book. Mm-hmm. And I think back to like, well, it makes sense because like that was when we were in middle school. I remember it was like always highlighted. Well, being skinny was being in. Yeah. And wearing certain types of clothes and... So that was the era of skinny jeans, form-fitting shirts... Yeah, America's Next Top Model was, like, a big hit that time, too. That's when the cycles kept progressing. And, again, if you watch those earlier seasons, and I'm, I mean, don't get me wrong, those earlier cycles have some great moments, and that's why I always love the earlier cycles. But, like, I noticed this more when the pandemic happened and I was watching it, but I I noticed some toxicity about, like, losing weight and being a certain weight, body image, and it just, like... I was like, wow, time has definitely changed. I'll just say that. Maybe it's just because I'm older and maybe I'm not as observant with the times, but I don't really see that highlighted as much often, like these days, than when we were in middle school. I don't think so either. But then again, we're not the we're not the target audience anymore. We are not the target audience. We are old. We are up there. This is something that we should talk to, like, our students about. Yeah. But it seems like there's a lot more emphasis now on body positivity and people who aren't super skinny are embracing it. And it's okay to be whatever you're going to be. And there seems to be more of an emphasis on how to be healthy properly. There's a lot more knowledge out there that's accessible to, which I think is nice. In fact, like, it's the internet, basically. I mean, the internet was there when we were younger, but it wasn't as diverse and expansive as it is today. But I feel like there is a lot more information and knowledge about healthy, I don't want to say diet, but, like, like, healthy foods, healthy ways to exercise, how to take care of yourself. I feel like that's a little bit more accessible nowadays. We should probably get into the book. Yeah, we probably should. We're, chapter 5 starts out, Ivana has lost all of the weight she gained in the hospital, and a little bit more in a six-month period, that she has tried to keep up with the weight gain program, but... Since I never addressed the mental health issue in the hospital, anorexia was really the only way that she knew how to deal with uh, stress and pain and her issues in life. So since someone never taught her an alternative, she just ended up veering back towards it. She ended up back in the hospital. Yeah, this sounds like a little dark, but that first paragraph that is in chapter five, how she talks about how she like wakes up because she hears like this (coughs) coughing. 
like across from her. I I literally I thought it was actually kind of it's like this weird dark humor because you know that she does not like this Miriam lady that mm-hmm. has been watching her and she's back and she's just like I like how she says fuck's sake I hiss loudly to the heavens I just want to imagine like baby Ivana Lynch just like for fuck's sake you have to cough <laughs> nice to see you again too Miriam replies smartly I'm <laughs> just like it's a little dark but I thought that was actually a little chuckle you do notice a lot of her sense of dark humor is kicking in during these chapters and I oh yeah I appreciate it because I think we talked about last episode with Matt. That's one of my big coping mechanisms is dark humor. Honestly, there were several points in reading these chapters where, like, I wanted to cry just because it's so awful. I think it's it shows a bit of strength that you can kind of look back on it and kind of take something funny from it. Yeah, I agree. She has a close but also at odds relationship with her mom, which I thought... The reason why I wanted to bring this up was because that's probably the most normal teenage thing that she that has happened so far. Is like this like love hate relationship with mom mm-hmm. kind of thing. I mean, yeah, pretty normal. You still want to have your parents as like your friends and your protectors, but you're also trying to have your own independence and you know I hate my parents kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of, like, shows that she's just, like, even though, you know, she's going through this eating disorder, and I can't relate to something like this, but, I mean, I can relate in a way that, you know, I've done that with my mom plenty of times. Oh, yeah, so have I. Like, it just kind of shows, like, she's a normal, even though, like, she's been through this, like, she's going through this eating disorder, she's still, like, a normal person. She's still a normal girl going through normal things. Puberty is a bitch. It really is. And you can tell that her mom is getting just, like, as exasperated with the whole situation as she is. Well, yeah. And I think also it because her mom has been in that place, I, it, I think it kind of heightens her mom's worry. Like, this is not ending. Like, this isn't over. Right. She basically ends up going back to the hospital and dealing with the Irish Health Board and Dr. Nolan And it seems like her therapist, Natasha, is the only person who doesn't seem tired of her or anxious about her future and is still considered her only safe space. And that's really the only place that she's able to talk about her hopes and dreams for the future, but they can't ever really get it out because they're too busy each week putting out these fires of things that happened the previous week. Everyone accepts obsessing over her weight or her reactions to her mom Therapy, while it's a great source for putting out small fires, if you're not doing the thing that you went to therapy for, it's not as productive. And this has happened with my therapist too. Like, instead of working on my big issues, it's like, oh, well, God, shit hit the fan this week. You're not going to believe what happened. And it's great to sort all that stuff out, but you never really get to the root problem or the underlying problem if you're continuously putting out these little fires instead of dealing with the big the root issue yeah yeah and i agree and i guess like in a way like going to the doctors and stuff like that it seems like that is kind of unhelpful i mean i understand why i'm not i'm not like a doctor i'm not a this is just based on like what i see Mm -hmm. but i can see how like natasha felt 
opposed to that because, you know, when you're at a doctor's office and you're looking at all these stat like charts and data and weight measurements and all of that, it can really affect a person and kind of harm more than help. With anorexia and other eating disorders, it's a sense of control and a sense of using it to cope with things. And if you're, so if you're attacking someone's only way to deal with things, instead of going to like the root cause, which is a mental disorder. I mean, I get that there comes a point where you need to focus on getting weight because you're not Mm -hmm. like, you're going to die at some point. And at some point it becomes incredibly unhealthy. So I get the focus on weight gain, but there also needs to be a focus on fixing the issue. And if there's not, the weight gain isn't going to happen or it's not going to be permanent. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a rough thing, especially being like a parent. I can only imagine if you're seeing your 12-year-old daughter or son struggling with an eating disorder and really the the big thing that you want to do is make sure that they're eating so that's what you're going to focus on it's just it's tough it's like there's no winning yeah one thing that i wanted to mention is that she brings up jk rowling and how she became pen pals with her basically Mm -hmm. just writing her a letter not really putting much thought into what she was writing but just saying how much she loved reading her books, how much she loves and relates to Luna Lovegood. And I think she told her all about her eating disorder. How basically when she she felt trapped and whenever she read that it was kind of like a outlet for her, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Just to not overthink things and just to kind of be free. That's what she kind of talks about. Given what we're going through in our current political climate, it's really good to see something good being said about J.K. Rowling. Mm-hmm. Given all of the contradictory, or not contradictory, controversial stuff that has been going on with her and transgender people. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this because yeah. J.K. Rowling wrote one of the best children's and middle grade and young adult fantasy series and I would think that Harry Potter is one of the bigger pillars of fantasy at this point. JK Rowling the whole thing with her is that she came out against having trans people included in women only spaces and that obviously rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. However, J.K. Rowling is a survivor of domestic abuse and sexual assault herself. Her ex-husband was very abusive. She, I also read some articles and apparently she struggled with gender identity herself in the 80s. And she said that if being trans was more accepted at that point, she may have identified as male herself. Hmm. I'm not saying that J.K. Rowling's pers- perspective is right, but I am a firm believer in saying that you can hold two truths and that not everything is black and white or one-sided. I was really happy to see something good about her. Even though she does have a lot of trauma and a lot of baggage, I don't agree with what she said about disincluding trans people, even though I do understand her perspective and why she would find women-only spaces so 
important. I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on all of that. I don't really agree with that view either. I thought it was interesting, too, because, yeah, like, I don't, I mean, I know about the whole situation, but I try to separate, like, at least Harry Potter series, for instance. I tried, I mean, I know that J.K. Rowling wrote the series and everything, but to me, Harry Potter is, like, a whole different story about, like, friendship and loving people and, you know, coming of age, good versus, all that stuff. Um... You separate the author from the book. I do, yeah. Again, because like I'm at this one place where it's like, okay, I don't, I don't agree with J.K. Rowling's views on the transgender community, but what I do like about J.K. Rowling is how, in this instance, where she actually takes the time to write back and to create this little pen pal relationship with a fan. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, to me, at that time, think about it. This was in 2004. That series was all over the place. You're coming out with new books every other year, new movies every other year, or whatnot. It's a big blow up. All these kids love it. She's super famous. She could have, like, ignored that letter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So why did she go out of her way to, like, write it? I thought that was really sweet. It's really hard because, like, again, I don't agree with this view that she has, but I find that, you know, this is something, it's nice to see that, you know, she's still, like, in a way, like, she is a good person in some sort. I don't want to, like, I don't want people to get mad, but I think it's, like, I think it's nice that she kind of, like, took the time to really, like, listen and read. And it shows, mm-hmm. like, some kind of kindness um, in J.K.'s heart. Or, like, that she actually cares. It speaks a lot about her character. And, and, and that's why I keep saying you can hold two truths that don't need to align with each other. Mm-hmm. That's a huge problem in this country is that everyone is very one side or the other. There's no middle ground anymore. Yeah. I definitely don't agree with J.K. Rowling's viewpoints on trans people i don't think that's cool yeah but i do understand the trauma that she went through and i understand why she might feel like that however i do think she could grow from that if she desired yeah i do think that she has done a lot for other people obviously she's done a lot for the uh, for literature i mean if you think about it like harry potter like really kind of shaped a lot of, like, some of the pop culture things with, like, the movie part things for Hollywood to get more money. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's a series, if you think about it, like, growing up, that's, like, the first series you really think about. Especially, like, in our time. I, to be really honest, I'm so happy that we grew up around Harry Potter. Because <laughs> we totally grew up with Harry Potter, the character. We did, yeah. And it's just, like, special, I find it special, at least, because I'm like, we're fucking cool. No, I feel like that, too. I thought it was really sweet because, like, it makes sense why Ivana would, like, share all those things to her. Because it seems like J.K. Rowling was, like, an idol. Not, like, an idol, but somebody that... A hero. was A hero, yeah. 
to Ivana because, I mean, the Harry Potter books were, like, a release for her Mm -hmm. in some way, even through this, like, she didn't have to think about things. She didn't have to think about her disorder. She was just, like, free in this. And I totally get it. I totally been there. When you're in that, when when you're rereading the series, it's like you're in it and you want to be in it. It's freeing. And I feel that way with a lot of books that I really like is I like sitting there and just being into it and being in that world. It to- it feels great. Books are a healthy escape. They are. I just thought it was really sweet that she just, you know, like, I can see why she let out all her feelings and her thoughts about what she was going through to J.K. Rowling. And it's just kind of like, will she ever, will she ever read it? Who knows? And apparently she did. And that was pretty cool if i wrote to taylor swift (laughs) and i got a letter back you know i'm gonna be like in a grave somewhere because i'm gonna die of a heart attack oh my god my heart's gonna stop and i'm just gonna be like petrified (laughs) frozen in time i want to read this next paragraph it's kind of a long boy so i hope you'll bear with me for a second oh (laughs) Catherine just looks around oh okay Okay. <laughs> J.K. Rowling and I continued to write to each other every few weeks. We actually became pen pals, and I became to know, to know her as Joe. I'll never know what possessed her to keep up a steady correspondence with a desperate, depressive 12-year-old, but I will always be grateful that she did, because her letters meant the world to me during the darkest times. They hinted at magic and miracles and dreams that I'd almost entirely given up on, but they did not mean recovery to me, and that is a crucial point to establish here. I've told the story of our pen friendship to journalists and presenters many times, and it has always been simplified and trivial. Oh my god, I can't ever read anything. It has always been simplified and trivialized to a neat, inspiring, bite-sized narrative that I wrote to J.K. Rowling, and that she told me I needed to recover to be in Harry Potter film, and I went right ahead and got on with that. It's a romantic notion. It's nice to think you can sweet talk someone to conquering their demons, but I'm sorry to say it does not do justice to the ugly process of recovery from anorexia. I'm sorry to dispel the delightful fantasy, but I feel I must, lest someone else grappling with this same darkness is waiting for their own J.K. Rowling to rock up on a fire-breathing dragon and seduce them into recovery with a fabulous alternative life as an actress in a world-renowned film J.K. series. Oh my god. World-renowned film series. J.K. Rowling is not coming to rescue you. She doesn't have a dragon, and the Harry Potter movies are already over. What I mean to say here is that you cannot incentivize recovery. You do not get better to please anybody else, be they your parents, your partner, or J.K. Rowling. None of these people, no matter how dif- how wonderful they are, can take away the pain that caused you to, each- to reach for your disorder in the first place. You only begin to let go of your eating disorder when you find something worth living for. The letters gave me great comfort, warmth, and inf- inspiration. Her words resonated and seemed to create an echo somewhere deep within my soul, but I did not buy it when she told me life would get better when I overcame anorexia. I believed in her characters and her castle of witchcraft and wizardry. I even believed that she supposed that what she was saying to me was true, but somehow I could not be convinced when she told me to believe in myself. So while I wanted to be able to write her and tell her I emphatically tell her emphatically that I was on the road to recovery, I did not actually want to recover. She would be just one more person I had to lie to. I really like how she was very honest about this because it's more realistic. I think if she went off and was like, oh yeah, like, J.K. Rowling helped me get through my eating disorder and I am at, like, because I listened to her, it was over. I feel like if people were in that position and they did something like that and they expected the same result to happen and it didn't quite happen the way that they wanted it to happen... It just doesn't feel, like, realistic. Like, oh, someone told me to, like, you know, someone I love or I look up to or who's my hero 
told me to do this. And so I listen to them and everything's better. I don't think, I think that's very fictional, not real. And in this case, she's very honest. She's like, you know, yeah, I got this like correspondence with JK Rowling. She encouraged me to do this, but it's not like the eating disorder ever went away. Like I was still going through it and still kind of doing my thing, not really listening. I thought that I really liked that. I, I read it like a couple times, so I know what paragraph you were talking about. Yeah, I I really liked that section because as someone who has their own mental health issues and like my husband has his own mental health issues and I have friends and family who have their own mental health issues, at the end of the day, you need to be the person who decides to mm-hmm. fix it and get the help. No one can ever do it for you. There's never going to be an instant fix. Mental health, fixing it takes time and it takes work. And I really like that Ivana basically was just like, this isn't how it works in real life. (laughs) Yeah, no, like in real life, it's a bitch. It's hard. It's work. It's not like, oh, someone rescues you, saves the day, and it's immediately like done. I think people easily get caught in that trap. I was caught in that trap once before. Not with this specifically, but with something else. And it's not, it doesn't work that way. Well, that's also why I really like it is because you can literally replace eating disorder with trauma, with anxiety, Mm -hmm. with depression, Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. whatever. None of those people, no matter how wonderful they are, can take away the pain that caused you to reach for your trauma reach for your depression, reach for your whatever in the first place. You only begin to let go of your trauma when you find something worth living for. It's interchangeable. Because the eating disorder is a mental health issue. And you can't just force someone to fix these things. They gotta fix them on their own. Basically. And it's a tough lesson to learn. Mm Mm-hmm. And recovery is not pretty, and it's not linear, and it takes time, and sometimes it's, in fact, most of the time I would say it's two steps forward and one back, but as long as you're making progress at the end of the day, I feel like that's what's important. Hey, you look kind of peppy. I am peppy because I just drank a cup of coffee from La Belle Rosette Espresso and Wine Bar. That's in Denver, right? Yep. We are located right across the street from the University of Denver. And do they have more than just espresso and wine? Yeah, we have breakfast burritos, paninis, pastries, teas. We have a lot. If someone was walking through Denver and let's say this person was me and let's say I wanted a panini, when is LaBelle open so I can go and get one? We are open from 7 to 5 Monday through Friday, 7 to 2 on Saturdays, 8 to 2 on Sundays. And if you use the code FPPODCAST, you'll get 15% off your order, whether you're in store or online at LaBelleRosette.com. That's a really good deal. Totally a good deal, and it's even a better deal when you get to see moi at the store. Is that a good deal? Uh, not really, but I actually need to head to work right now because I'm gonna be late. Oh, so I'm gonna go. Go to Labelle Rosette. Go. Bye. Right now. Drop <laughs> everything. Go. Speaking of progress being linear, we find that she's in the hospital, and it also 
seems like the I I want to say hi. I don't think that's the correct term, but at the first time that the vibe is the off. The vibe is different because the first time around and I say hi because it kind of seemed like this in this section in this part of the chapter because like we talked about how in the first time around um people are giving her cards, words of encouragement. And it seemed like this too when she was talking about it like People were visiting her. People were like, we hope you get better soon. And now this time around, she's back at the hospital. And it's more like the nurses are kind of like, here again. Miriam's back coughing out a third lung. <laughs> her parents are pretty much like exhausted at this point. And it's just kind of like. Here we are again. It kind of feels, here we are again. We're not, this is like a cycle, it feels like. And that's the other thing about mental health is that people stop feeling for you when you either don't get better or if they realize that you are the one continuously hurting yourself. Mental health is tough because you can't see it as you can if I had like a broken arm or like an internal organ injury or something. Those are things you can actually see. You can't really see mental health. It takes longer to fix mental health as well. People don't have the same amount of patience for it. They have about the same amount of patience for it as they would for a physical ailment. Yeah. So then her mom basically convinces her to go to Peaceful Pastors Clinic. Which I I looked it up. I don't think this exists anymore. Probably doesn't. Or maybe it does, but has a different name. It might. But they take her to this, or she kind of convinces her because she has this pamphlet. And she's like, there's like horseback riding. And that immediately like catches her ears. She's like, horseback riding? Because she's a 12-year-old girl. I mean, get them with horses. And Daniel Radcliffe, because apparently it's in London. And guess who's in London? Daniel Radcliffe. I like how she just inserts him in this. Like, I'm going to stop Daniel Radcliffe while I'm there. I can only imagine, if, like, Daniel Radcliffe reading this and going, like, oh, God. <laughs> I bet they're friends in some kind of way. I'm sure they are. <laughs> or maybe. I don't know. Well, they're co-workers for a long time. Yeah. I just remember, like, there were a lot of girls that liked Daniel Radcliffe that time. I had friends that loved Daniel Radcliffe. And Rupert Grant. <laughs> and Tom Felton. And I, at the time, I was just like, I don't see it. <laughs> I did <laughs> Like, anyway, except Tom Felton, if you're listening, hi. <laughs> is, that your, is that your pickup line? That's my pickup line right there. Yikes. So they basically go to London, and immediately when she gets to this place, it seems like this, okay, from the, from the description, it seems like this is like a place in the middle of the woods. That's what you got? That's what I got. Maybe I'm just, like, weird. Or, like, in, the, in a more outdoorsy area part of London, and it's, like, a campus. It is a rehab center uh, for people with eating disorders, and it seems to focus on people with anorexia. Um, and all the girls, basically, are, like, wearing, like, these hoodies. Super baggy clothing. Raccoon eyeliner. They don't look okay. They're miserable. Yeah. I can see how peaceful it is, I guess. A little dark. The whole intake process is super rough. She meets Dr. Grimm. 
mm-hmm. how fitting for a place with the doctor. And basically, like, what was it? She just gets this, like, the whole spiel what this program is and she's completely like caught off guard because she was like i didn't expect to be in something like this it's a minimum of a 12 week stay you were supposed to gain one kilogram and i was like what the fuck's a kilogram so i looked it up that's 2.2 pounds thank you for doing that conversion for us we just saw wendy so We just talked about the kilograms in the metric system. I was like, why a kilogram? Because we are in I, uh, we are in the but, UK now. Just use pounds. It's so much easier. But pounds are their money. So use the US dollar. I don't see what the issue is. But they're in England. <laughs> <laughs> they also get basically two phone calls a week and then weekly visits. I think if they meet some of the requirements... When you get past intake, they have to go through all your things to make sure you don't have sharp objects. You're basically on super heavy surveillance. Like, it is, they don't joke around. It is a really rough rehab center. It seems very intense and very bold, Ivana. She's like, this is not the program for me. I'm good with the one that I had. We will be leaving now. I was just like, that's a very bold 12-year-old right there just being like, this is not the program for me. I can just, like, picture it, her just saying it in a very, like, calm voice. If, like, have you, like, when you hear her speak, and I'm just, like, very bold. Very bold. And the doctor's like, LOL, watch me. Oh, well, no. You basically, everyone's like, yeah, no, you need to stay here. Like, there's, there's no way we can go back. And then she starts begging her parents and having a temper tantrum, and it takes, like, three or four nurses i guess for lack of a better word to literally tear her from biting them tear her from her parents yeah she's like biting them basically and her parents leave and she's just kind of like i don't want to be here basically and then she gets taken into the brown kitchen which is a place there are two kitchens in this place there is the brown kitchen which is basically where your patients that need the most surveillance are put and then there's the blue kitchen which you can eat without being watched as closely well i like how she calls it being bullied she quotes it you do not come to the brown kitchen to eat dinner you come to the brown kitchen to be bullied into dinner which when i read that i was like what are we going to read what is going to happen It's rough. They make her take her hat off because they don't want her to hide food in her hair or in her hat. And they um, check their sleeves and they basically just stare them down to make sure that they're not hiding their food. And they just yell at these kids to eat and they have to sit there until they're done. And All of them. All of them have to be done before they all leave. And they break. I mean... She says, I think it's in chapter six, that they're, she says something about eating, I forgot exactly what it was, but it was like, basically all they do there is eat. I just know that it took her a while, like she couldn't really finish like what they gave her, and everyone was getting mad because they wanted to watch TV. They gave her like something else to eat and finish, and then everyone left, and she's just kind of like, she's just 
kind of sad because she's being supervised. She doesn't really know anybody. It's just, like, this new scary place. And, I mean, if you think about it, like, I mean, I remember being 12. But if I were put in a place like that, I'd be freaking terrified. Like, not lying. I would be so terrified. I'd be pissed. I'd be angry. Honestly, same. And it just seems like that was kind of like the tone that Ivana had for a good portion of the beginning of her stay at this place. She mentions in chapter six that this older girl comes and tries to be nice to her and be friends with her, have conversation with her, just kind of like ease her mind a little bit. And Ivana goes off saying like, I hate the English, they control our lives, blah, blah, blah. And the girl gets upset. And she basically just kind of alienates herself from like people. I guess the people in the brown kitchen don't like her as much because she takes her time eating these meals because she doesn't really want to eat. But when you're in the brown kitchen, you need to eat. So she's like not really having a good time right now. No, she's throwing all these temper tantrums and doing everything slowly and crying and... She snips out the other kids that try to reach out to her because when you're suffering and you hate yourself, it's so easy to just push everyone else away. Yep. Been there. She even shares her anger towards her, like, letters. Like, death threats to her mom, basically. Yeah, and she kind of even, like, if she writes, like, she's just like, I want to show people that, like, how awful this place is, how bad I'm doing, how this is not helping me, that way I can get out. It just seems like she's just not having it. She's not, she doesn't want to be there. There was no respite from eating at peaceful pastures, not for anyone under any condition. It did not matter how young or sick or traumatized you were or how much you were suffering. There was never a break from eating. Every single calorie from every meal or snack went in at the farm, either between screams or through mute, tensely held jaws. It felt like the entire purpose of our lives was eating. No sooner had your belly stopped hurting and whining from the late from the last ambush, then another meal or snack time was launched. And as you sat there chewing your way through hunks of chocolate and caramel, you couldn't help but frantically calculate the river of calories consumed, especially compared to the meager amount that had previously sustained you. And this is kind of what I was talking about earlier, where I understand that there comes a point where you do need to treat the weight loss, like the literal weight loss issue, but this isn't a way to help the mental side of it. Mm-mm. Honestly, like, these rehab centers, and they're, a lot of them are like that. I mean, I thought about, I've never been to a rehab center, but I've thought about, like, Peachford and Ridgeview here. Have you heard of them? No. I had a couple friends in, like, high school who were institutionalized for self-harm kind of stuff. These inpatient facilities, they are brutal, and they need to be brutal because... These are the people who are most likely to hurt themselves, and these are the people who can't be trusted in their own day-to-day lives. And it's kind of the same here. Everything is taken away from you because it's sort of a push-comes-a-shove situation, and it will work for the time being. Like, most of these kids will gain back their weight, but it's not going to help them mentally. They're just going to keep coming back. She mentions that she, like, kind of also picks up, like, she observes some of the other girls that have been there longer than her. And, like, what 
that one girl, she mentions mentions a girl named Lexi. She's one of the more vocal people that kind of give her a little snark at dinner time when she's not done yet with her dinner. She's like, can we, like, get on with it so I can watch my reality TV show? That's you. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> but she met, but Ivana mentions that Lexi has been in, out, in, out for quite some time. Like, she will gain the weight, go back home. Obviously, something is not really happening or working when she's at home, and then she's back in the facility again. Ivana also talks about how some of the girls, and maybe Lexi was a part of this, how some of the girls, like, actually found ways to hide their food, despite what, you know, they had to do at the beginning of dinner that first time, pulling their hair back, showing their sleeves and everything like that. We're drinking a bunch of water, so that way you have water weight Mm -hmm. before your weigh-in each week. But it just seems like someone like Lexi, who has been there, like, in, out, in, out, is kind of an example of that, which is sad. Yeah, because a place like this is only focused on literally putting pounds or, I'm sorry, kilograms on kids instead of actually fixing their mental health issues. Was it mentioned that there was a therapist at this facility? I think it might have been briefly mentioned. Yeah, there's there's a therapist. It's like a, a mandatory once a week kind of thing. But Ivana says it seems like it's more just kind of checking a box. She goes and talks about her stuff, but she just says that she doesn't really get anything from it. And then another girl that she's friends with just goes in there and stares at the therapist, doesn't really say anything. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know how productive it is. It seems like a lot of these places are kind of like that. Because a lot of these inpatient facilities are last resort. Mm-hmm. Where you're focusing on the most crucial issue. So for my ex-friends in high school, it was making sure they didn't kill themselves. And for Ivana, it's making sure you're gaining weight. Yeah. And she gets really bitter towards her parents, too, because she feels... That she was tricked into getting into this camp and she feels, or not camp, this clinic, and she feels like she's abandoned. The first day that she's allowed to talk to her mom, she doesn't really say much to her and her mom is saying it will get better. And she's telling her mom that, you know, this place is awful and this is what they're doing here and it's not working, it's not going to get better, I'm miserable. And she says that no one is listening to her cries for help. And she ends up slamming the phone down on her mom. She says, no one was listening to my cries for help. I felt like all the little bubbles of hope quietly orbiting my heart were being dashed out. Every day just seemed to get darker and sadder and harder to get through. Something about the repeated refusal to acknowledge the full extent of my pain really played at the edges of my sanity. I don't know what point I'm trying to make here, politically, morally, or otherwise, but perhaps I'm ranting. But to me, there is something deeply unethical about a scared 12-year-old begging for help and crying, I can't do this, only to, me, only to be met with a blank chorus of, sure you can. You know the end of the story already. I got out of there and ultimately everything did get better. But when someone is in such a fragile state of mental health and finding no source of comfort, I don't know that it would always get better. Personally, when it comes to anorexia recovery, I don't approve of solely treating the body and turning a deaf ear to the soul crying out for help. A soul can still drown in a healthy body. Mm-hmm. And it seems like 
there is, like, it's not just with Ivana, but there's, like, a lot of mental health issues, like, happening in the facility, because she mentions that while, like, after she, like, you know, while she was, like, on the phone and her conversation was, like, tensing up a little bit, she notices around the room it's kind of, like, the same deal with some of the other girls. Also, there's, like, this, like, there was that random moment where this girl comes up to her, and she's, like, writing a letter to her mom and, like, licking the stamp, and the girl is, like, like, oh my god, you can gain, like, five calories from licking a stamp, which I had no clue that was a thing, but seeing that, like, reading that comment, that's, like, that in some way, and I'm not, I don't know, I don't want people to get mad at me for me saying things, but it sounds like it's very, like, some kind of compulsive disorder there. It's, like, counting things like calories in a way where it's, like, you go down to stamps. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something that, you know, shouldn't this girl, like, find some help and kind of, like, re- like you know, telling herself, like, you know, if you lick a stamp, you're going to be okay. Well, that's the whole point of having a disorder is a disorder is when it, like, impairs your day-to-day life. And so, like, anxiety is, like, generalized anxiety disorder for example. Yeah, and it just seems like maybe that place, that's maybe that's why that facility doesn't exist anymore when you looked it up on Google. Maybe they did a terrible job with the mental health like portion of this place and bye. Yeah, I honestly don't know. It just kind of shows like how fucked up these places are. It just needs to get better. It needs to be better. I know it's like a last resort option, but if this tends to be the trend in most instances where it's very harsh and not much gets done mental on the mental side, then something needs to f- change. Right. The last portion of this chapter, well, I know at some point she does talk about why it is so cruel to say it really, like, it will get better to someone who's really going through, like, a, a mental health crisis. I loved that paragraph too because I am trying to find it it's on page 218 I have it like marked in my thing you read it then it will get easier is probably the most offensive thing you can say to someone in the grip of pain you are borrowing from a future that isn't promised a future that depends entirely on their endurance of the pain you are taking for granted a well of strength within them that they may not possess, fast-forwarding through the ugly bits that you don't want to watch, but they must live through nonetheless. It will get easier is not a helpful thing to say to someone for whom only the present moment can exist, so vivid, so intense, that it's not possible to imagine a moment beyond it. The future doesn't matter to someone enduring an unimaginable pain, so let's not entertain that childish fantasy. All that matters is the pain that is consuming you in this moment, that you grit your teeth and try to survive it. You invalidate the pain and the damage it inflicts when you hasten to skip past it to a brighter tomorrow. Sometimes things are just unremittingly shit, and the only respectful thing to do is to stand next to the person going through it and scream along with them. To be very honest, I think this is why we get along so well. Woody does this to me. It's more of the last thing. He's more of the person that will, like, sit next to me when I'm having a bad day and kind of, like scream along with me and I think it's more like he's been through something and I don't really it's not my place to say 
but that's just how he kind of views things, and I understand why from his point of view. I really liked this paragraph because there have been times where I've said it will get easier, I hope things will get better, and most of the time I, I say that because I truly hope that things get better for people, and sometimes I really don't know what to say because I am guilty of this, but um, I've tried to be a little bit more less like it will get better. I'm trying to do less of that. And I've been thinking a lot about that lately in my own life because I've been thinking this too. I hate it when, when I've been, I've had moments in my life where I've gone through some fucking trauma. And at that time, I'm fucking angry at the world and I'm not happy. And people are like, oh, we'll get better. And I'm just like, how the fuck do you know? You know, that that's literally what I'm thinking in my head half the time. And I know I just threw a couple of F-bombs, but you know, when you're in the moment, you just have to say it. <laughs> it just seems like empty condolences more than actually knowing that that person is in your corner. It's like, how do you know if it's going to get better if you really don't understand the situation? How do you know what's going to happen in the in the future? It's like things like that. And that's why whenever sometimes I get told that, it kind of pisses me off too. I start thinking like, well, how do you know that? You don't know me. You don't know my life. Why are you telling me this? I've just been in that place, both ends. Dave and I have gotten a lot better at this. I have chronic hives and I've been pretty stressed and it flared up last night at like 11 something at night. And he was sleeping and they were just like all over my body, just bright red. And we didn't have any Benadryl, but we had Zyrtec. So I took a few Zyrtec and I went back to bed and I got up a few hours later and I turned on the light to make sure that they were going down and they weren't. But turning on the light woke up David and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And he like woke up instantly. He's like, are you okay? Like, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm sorry I woke you up. And he's like, no, it's okay. He's like, I'm going to be here for you, even if there's no stores open. It's important to show up and to be there for people emotionally mm-hmm. and physically, even if you can't do anything. Oftentimes, just knowing that a person is in your corner, like, means a lot. Yeah. This chapter ends out on her being moved to a different room and getting a little bit more privileges. She becomes a little bit more friends with people, too. Yeah, we're, we're glossing over a lot. This is like a 100-page chunk here. <laughs> yeah, this... I mean, a lot of it was more of her, like being angry her day-to-day yeah what she experienced like in the kitchen with the people that she interacted with it was a lot of anger i think they go to a bigger room that has a window and they try to open the window and the window has chains on it and ivana asks what the chains are for and the other girl says so we can't jump ivana says that her and the other girl looked at each other knowing that they both thought she's kind of I'm not saying suicidal tendencies but she's definitely getting some suicidal thoughts at this point because there was also another point during these two chapters where she was like yeah I can see why they took our sharp objects away it's really dark it is I mean it's just real like this is what people in this inst- in this situation Maybe in other situations, this is what people feel. This is what people think. It's just a realistic situation that it's not glossed over. 
it's it's hard to like talk about it because you sit there and you're just like this is I mean to me in a way it feels like it's a sensitive subject to me it's just like this is some real shit this is what people go through some people go through and it's not sunshine and rainbows I love that this book you can look at it through the lens of other traumas and other mental health conditions I think that that's really important and part of why this book is so dark and so touching is because it's relatable yeah yeah it's just relatable at its core and honestly i'm i'm really enjoying this book so far even though it's dark as hell (laughs) me too i'm really curious to see like what happens because like i mean how we just end it's like she's still in the facility she's kind of like succumbed to like okay i'm here i can't resist i just gotta eat and get through it because like she because she sees a new girl come in and the new girl is doing kind of the same things that or similar things to like what ivana was doing when she when she first got there like not wanting to eat having a hard time it's interesting to see that like transformation happen from the beginning of the chapter to the ending of the chapter this time she's a little bit more acquainted with the program. She's acquainted with the people. And she's just kind of been like, there's no way out other than doing this. And that's also when she realizes that the reason why the kids were, the other kids were so mean to her at the beginning is because the kids are essentially re-triggered every time some new super anorexic kid walks in and they're like, oh, they're so skinny. How are their bones sticking out like that? Oh, they waited this long to come here? It's it's just imagine having having your mental health not addressed and being consistently re-triggered. Like, that seems like your own kind of personal hell. Yeah. And again, maybe this place is just not here possibly anymore because... Or maybe, you know, maybe this is just like a... What is it? A pseudonym? Oh... Maybe, like, this place is, like, a fake... Maybe this is, like, a fake name. When you look this up, did it actually show up, like, in Google searches? Mm-mm. Oh, it didn't. Yeah, so it might be a fake place. Or not a fake place, but a fake name. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Hmm. But again, like, it just seems like there needs to be a change with... At these facilities, like, something needs to change with, like, the mental health aspect of it. If you really want people to get better, then there's more than just, like... Because she talks about how, like, when the nurses are, like, watching them eat and making them eat, all they... She mentions how all they see is the disorder. All they see is anorexia. They don't see anything else. And so it's just, like, something just needs to change. And how that can lead to you losing yourself within the disorder, because then you also start identifying as wow, this is my only defining feature, so why would I want to lose it? I'm kind of curious to see how she, like, continues through the program and gets out of it and kind of, like, I'm curious because obviously it seems like there's more than just being in the facility. It seems like there's a little bit more happening after the facility. This is my prediction right now. I feel like she's still battling eating disorder in some way after she's at that facility and not just like a year after but like years that's what i'm seeing or predicting yeah i wouldn't be surprised i actually don't know her history like her biography so i wouldn't be surprised if she has to go back into 
either this facility or a different one. Well, I'm also thinking, like, okay, it's 2004. She's, like, 13 years old. She has to audition for that movie somehow. <laughs> like, it's coming close. And it's coming close, and filming takes, like, a year. So... Something, I, I feel like, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just like, that's the only good part of her biography I know is like the Harry Potter portion, okay? Yes, I'm a basic Harry Potter fan, you guys. I'm sorry, but, you know, sue me. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that all ties in. Yeah. But I'm kind of curious to see really how she gets through the program and how she continues afterwards. That's what I'm really curious about. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see for sure. And I guess, like, the next episode, we're reading chapters 7 and 8? Yes. 7 and 8. That'll be next. Um, well, this was uh, an episode. I thought this was a lot longer. I'm reading, like, a Howard 14 minutes on my thing, but you're going to edit this, so it's going to be... So, I guess that's about the end. Um, I need to plug my recital. <laughs> if y'all are in Colorado and y'all want to see some live music, I will be playing on Friday, June 26th at 7.30 at... Is that 7.30 Mountain Time? Mountain Time, so it's 9.30 Eastern Time for all you Eastern folks, because I guess the world goes by Eastern Time. <laughs> Are you live streaming it? Um, that is to be announced, um, most likely. I mean, today it's June 11th, but hopefully by then I'll have, like, a live streaming info, like, I'll have live in streaming information. But we'll be performing June 24th at 7.30 p.m. Mountain Time <laughs> at First Christian Church in Colorado Springs. If you want to follow me at Cat Flinch Flute, I will have the info on my Instagram. We are called Duo A Day we are a harp and flute duo we will be playing selections by cecile chaminade vincent persichetti esther piazzola and yuko ubayashi so we're playing a neat little program called postcards from duo desire so it'll be really fun i'm excited um so come check it out and yeah i hope you live stream it i hope so too because <laughs> it kind of sucks like i can't have share live music live live in person with like everybody so um i know you already plugged your insta so i mean i guess i'll go ahead and plug mine <laughs> i am at bm ross music if you follow me i might share some of Catherine's stuff we'll see how active i am on it uh if you want to follow the <laughs> podcast you can follow us at fiddle and pipe on instagram and you can follow us on facebook at fiddle and pipe forum you can also follow us on Spotify and on Apple Podcast. And hey, while you follow us, you can just like easily rate us. Um, so rate us. You don't even need to write a review. But if you want to write a review. You should write a review. Like seriously, just put down, I really like listening to this podcast. A plus. Put a happy emotion, emoji. Emotion. <laughs> a plus. Emotion. <laughs> <laughs> a happy emotion. If you want to do something that takes a little bit more work, you can easily shoot a text to one of your best pals with our podcast in it, an episode that you think they might like. Spreading us around to different listeners' ears is how we get bigger. If you want some bigger and better things, we got 
stuff on patreon.com slash fiddleandpipe where we have bonus content like outtakes from each episode like today. Um, so many. And so many. And we even have our bonus podcast, Fiddle and Pipe Happy Hour, which is just, it's just a chill time. We have a good time. If you want to know a little bit more about it, you've seen the clips on our Instagram. Go follow us. We have some interesting things happening on that. So come follow us patreon.com slash fiddle and pipe and all these are on the show notes yeah 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 so click those links thanks yeah and i think that brings us to the end of our episode right yeah that's it oh okay all right go to bed oh (laughs) okay good night (laughs) (laughs) are you just ending it there (laughs) 